Welcome, everybody, to the Legendarium Green Team Podcast. Today, we're discussing Ruin by John Gwynn, the third book in the Faithful and the Fallen series. With me today, I have my faithful Bright Star solution. All right, I'm the Bright Star, because you know that's, you know what, you know, Eridanus is, right? And our black son, Eridanus. Yes. <laughs> the ends justify the means. Yeah. Or <laughs> does it? And uh, I am Yeti Beats, the uh, inept Benalim, like Michael, <laughs> who's hosting this shindig. Well, uh, let's uh, let's start off with our thoughts about Ruin, the third book out of a four book series, no, not the trilogy. Spoiler free thoughts, and uh, we'll start with Eridandis. Your thoughts, but also how you know a lot of people in the Discord, or a few people who read the books in the Discord didn't quite like the change of pace in this book compared to Valor uh, and even Malice. So did you feel similarly or um, do you think he just kept on rocking with his third book? No, I liked it better than, than Valor. I liked it significantly better than Valor actually because so one of the things that, that that's occurring in this book and has happened throughout Malice and Valor is that there's been a build up, a build up, a build up, a build up and we're, we start to see in Ruin some of the payoff to some of the things that have been built up. It may not have been more of the high-stakes stuff. It may have been more of the lower stakes. But you're beginning to see the payoffs on, on some of these things. So I was perfectly fine with the pacing of the book. And I guess by comparison, I like Malice more than I like Valor because Malice was the setup to what occurred in Valor. And I like, for me, I like the setup portion of it. And Ruin kind of gave me both. It gave me the setup that was going to occur in Wrath and some of the payoff that we should have gotten from the buildup that was done in Malice and Valor. So you didn't find any, like, I'd say, like, meandering a bit, like, with the plot where this, like, the other two books were pretty linear in where it was going. You didn't find any kind of, you know. I mean, sure, stuff kind of, went off in different directions. On the other hand, I mean, he's... You either have to give an author grace if he's going to have multiple POVs, or you don't. Okay? And I choose to, because the grace I give him is because he's not giving us a 3,000-page book. Now, if I had a 3,000-page book, I would expect perfection. I really would, because now you have all the real estate in the world to create and develop all your characters. He's working in a limited space relative to the amount of POVs. So I'm willing to extend some grace to the author in this instance. Sol, what about you? Do you think this is uh, the series is on an upward trajectory? Um, yeah, I think so. This is, I didn't have as many issues with Valor as everybody else seemed to. But Ruin? I also, sorry, yes, Ruin, I apologize. Um, I still like book one the most, but this this book ended well. I didn't have any issues with the pacing. Uh, like you said, I do think because of the payoffs, this pacing was a little bit better. Um, but even the previous one was was fine for me. Um, I'm a sucker for the the beginning, that origin of the book one. So that really is what I miss. But you know that that's fine because I know not just this third book, but the fourth book too. We're going to be getting a lot of payoffs, obviously, and. That's all a part of it, and I'm fine with this journey, and uh, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. 
And let me kind of jump in on what Soul said, because I, I agree with him on the book one part. I mean, to me, I always give the benefit of the doubt to book ones, because yeah. a book one has to be engaging enough to get you to read the other books, right? And, and it was. Exactly. Yeah. And that, yeah. that, that right there gives me that, um, like you said, you're forgiving to an author. When, when they have a great book one, and I want to continue the series, I am more forgiving. And this is one of those instances where I really don't even need to be forgiving that much because there's not much that really bothers me. Yeah, I for me, when because I was listening to, I think, Changes on Discord and uh, Jake's Wasted Life, I think is the other Discord member. And I don't know if they brought this up, but for me, I did start to feel a little bit of repetitiveness. So like in a sense where a lot of characters store arcs or just things that happening, it went like, okay, someone got captured and then they break free and then there's a battle or and then there's torture. And it like kind of... Same thing over and over again, where it became like, oh, okay, this person's captured, but we know they're eventually somehow going to get out or uh, escape. And um, I don't know. I, I just felt like, I feel like the author, Gwyn, is kind of struggling, kind of getting to where he needs to go. Or like he's, I don't want to say he's putting a lot of fluff in there because that's not it. But there are some story, like some POVs where I'm like, you know, do we really need, I don't want to go into spoilers, but like a C-level villain to find, you know, I don't know. I just felt like we could. he could have trimmed some of this up. And I, I am curious if this was meant to be a trilogy at first. Um, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do some research on that because I think you're right. I think a lot of this is, um, or at least the issues you're having, is the, the pacing of multiple storylines he's trying to tie in all at the same time frame. Yeah. And then their locations at the same time. It seems like he's he's having trouble having you interested in other plot lines when he wants to get to some of the other ones and he has to throw them in there. Because it felt like there was definitely there was a definite lull, like in the almost kind of the middle, leaning towards the beginning, um, of just like, all right, let's let's get to something like like let's move forward. And then there's there's this instance where it's kind of like um characters collide at this one spot. Uh, you know, I'll say it's like a battle type of thing, and that's when from there on till the end, the story really kicks into um, gear. But it took a little bit to get there, and it just um, I felt like it could have been a little cleaner. But again, it's not a huge thing. But I could see while people where other people were like, yeah, you know, it's starting to drag a little bit. And, and let me say just a little bit of defense. Not that I I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but just let me kind of offer a little bit of a different perspective. One, we talked about book one we knew what kind of book we were getting into. Like, uh, don't be shocked if, if the author does exactly what he says he's going to do. So, I mean, shame on you as the reader for expecting something different than what the author told you what he was going to do. We know what kind of story structure he's going to give us. He told us that. We discussed this. So I am not shocked and not surprised that he's giving us exactly what he told us he was going to do. Especially so as a reader, I should be doubly shocked. <laughs> doubly so, so there's that. One and two, I would say, like, you know, I know that there were some, for example, there's one particular POV makes its appearance in book three, and it's over in book three. So, I mean, I so, like so, there's, that so that to me, actually, honestly, A, I like the fact that we had a contained story arc within that. And B, I think that and when we get to spoilers, we'll talk about it more. I actually thought that character's insight 
was actually valuable and gave a lot of context to a lot of other things that were going on in that story. So, again, I guess it just depends on 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 what your expect. To me, this is more of an expectation setting thing. Maybe you had high expectations coming out of Valor, you expecting it to go to another level on Ruin. Whereas I think Ruin kind of kept the same level you were at at Valor. It didn't improve from that, but I don't think it got any worse. Yeah, and in in an in enjoyment level, I, I'd agree with that. But um, yeah, Valor just seemed to me just more straightforward. Like, all right, we need to, everyone's getting to the cauldron at one point. We knew that was like kind of the end game, this cauldron, you know, that someone needs to get. And at the end, it culminated into this thing, uh, battle. Whereas this one, I feel like we kind of knew where it was going to end up, but it really took a lot of different stops to get there and a lot of different POVs and character journeys where it's like, you know, which actually I, and to be honest, the POVs, the way he deals with POVs is actually one of my um, favorite things about him, especially when it's in like, you have big scenes, he'll cut to a character still in that scene, but in a different point of view from the battle or whatever is going on. Or even if it's like a, a meeting between two sides. So I think POVs is one of his strong points as a writer that he, he uses them well. Um, but well, that and battle scenes, yeah, battle scenes, and I like how his consistent chapter length is always great, short and sweet. Where nothing, nothing ever gets stale. That's nice. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing, bears, <laughs> bears. All right, uh, yeah, hey, the, this, this book is always going to be better than Valor for Bears, if nothing else. So <laughs> we're good. So. That's fair. All right, should we dig into the book? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. I will uh, give a quick recap that I wrote up no more than one and a half hours ago. All right. <clears throat> so, Ruin follows immediately the, after the events uh, at the end of Valor. Corbin is coming to terms with his leadership as the Bright Star. With pressure from Michael and others, he has to decide where to go, what to do, when to fight. Eventually, that leads him to abandoning Adana, heading to Graham's hold on the way to the fabled Drassel. From there, things go fairly well until Michael informs Corbin there is no prophecy. It's all a lie, and Corbin, for some reason, decides to go out for a breath of fresh air in the middle of enemies, gets attacked and kidnapped, and loses Storm. Uh, Adana, along with Camlin, uh, are struggling to survive. They barely escape Queen Rin's grasp, losing Halion along the way. They make it to the swamps of Arden, where they join Pendathian's rebellion. With Adana's leadership, Camlin smarts, and some local help, they manage to kill Evnes and survive the day. Uh, our favorite old man, Makin, and Fidel are on the run from Lycos. They eventually fall back into his hands. Luckily, Veritas is there to stop anything truly terrible uh, to happen. They all return to Nathair and Calidus, only to have Nathair admit to Veritas that he is in fact the Black Sun. Veritas finally gets a little bit of sense, frees Mackin, Fidel, and the others. He stays to end Calidus's life, the mastermind behind all this. Doesn't go to plan, but Alcyon saves him after finding out Veritas freed Alcyon's wife and child from Calidus's prisons. They both jump out the window, seemingly to safety. The book ends with Calidus and Nathair taking over Drassel, capturing Corbin's sister. Uh, Corlin, um, or Kerwin, and taking my call's head. And that is a, um, just a half, you know what, recap of what happened uh, in a general sense. But, so, that's Ruin. 
Let's start with well, you got you don't want to start with Corbett. We'll lead up to that big his big moment. You guys want to do Veritas? Oh yeah, let's do Veritas. I will okay. operate the tee off of that. Ugh. All right. I'm gonna start with one really good point before we get into the bad stuff. Okay. Oh yeah. you guys get all the good stuff out because I I'll go on for a little bit. No, on, no. On I field. love and I mean I love a good window breaking jump scene. <laughs> In any movie, TV show, or book. Okay? It's always fun. It's always great. This was a great one. I gotta give it to them. I always cheer when somebody jumps out of a window to like, wherever they're like, this is it. We're just gonna, it's like the cliff jump. It's perfect. Okay. All right. I got, that was my good one. What else you got? Anybody? Anything else? Anything good you like to say, Yeti? Anything good about Veritas, please feel free. Uh, Besides jumping out of windows. (laughs) Well, I will. First of all, I do want to say... This is a live update uh, in the Gwyn channel, Jake's Wasted Life. Mm. I want to say he said this. I'm wondering if other people found the good guy's story arcs to be too predictable uh, across the series. He said, fight, lose, run, capture, torture, escape, regroup, repeat. And I literally just said that. <laughs> just yep. want him to know. Yeah, I, I literally just said, he read my vine. I, I didn't read that before. So anyway, I thought that was funny that he brought that up. And good yes, job, Jake. Jake, I do agree. Um, yeah, so Veritas. He, he's been a frustrating character this whole time. I mean, yep. this whole time, um, the most frustrated I think I've been with him and I'm, I'm actually not as down on him as I thought I would be as, uh, era is. I don't think he's redeemable. I still don't think that's the case. I mean, I, like we said, at the end of this book, he kind of switches sides, which I think we all kind of saw coming. It's kind of in the tea leaves. He'd eventually, you know, you know, obviously fight against it, but, the worst part was when he has that meeting with his brother and his father uh, and he's with Lycos and they're like kind of bartering between you know, Mackin's side with who is with uh, Veritas's brother and father. And he just, he just can't see common sense. I, I mean, they're giving them all these facts about what Lycos did to Fidel. And, you know, you think he would trust family and it just goes to show he just has this, this thick way of thinking where he's just like Nathair. He's just so loyal to Nathair and the idea that he's king and what he says is goes. It doesn't matter who's on his side that it's just, it's so frustrating to read uh, as a reader. Did you, did you guys find that when reading particularly that scene? Stop right there. Okay. Veritas is one redeeming quality or two redeeming qualities is a, well, th- if you want to be generous, I'll say three. Courage, honor, and loyalty. And by the end of this book, all he has left is courage. Because he's not loyal, and he's not honorable. Not according to the terms of this universe and this country. So you talked about his loyalty to Nathair. By the end of this book, is he loyal to Nathair? Doesn't matter. I mean, he's committed how many kinds of heinous acts? How many times does he turn a blind eye, willfully blind eye, to horrible things? Quote, for the greater good. Right. And the only thing, it only took him to be lied, to realize that he's been lied to and used this whole time. And his loyalty disappeared like that. Well, which, and. I mean, which well, and, for the good side, but. Well, yeah, but I mean, so, so his loyalty disappeared because. Uh, Nathair uh, says that he's the blacksmith and he can't accept that. So that tells you something else. 
Veritas is have to be in the in, in the terms of this world extremely extraordinarily religious. That can either be a positive or a negative, but literally that's his only hold. Then there's only hold on him. Then was the religion, or it was like a bond, like they made a blood oath, right? Like they cut each other in their palms, and like they had like this yeah. brotherly bond. But but think of think of think of it this way: the brotherly bond was premised on a falsehood. What was it premised on? Him jumping through a wall of fire to save him from a giant and an evil wizard who ended up being on their side in the first place. <laughs> so everything was built on a lie, and. Nathair's only good qualities have been stripped away from him by the end of this book. And we're supposed to believe that he's honorable and loyal going forward? No, he's not. I mean, he can't be. I mean, I don't care how Gwyn ends up justifying it, because by the way this world works, he isn't. And by the way, let's talk about how actually incompetent and stupid he is. Like, <laughs> yeah, if we don't mind. Right there. He's very... He, he doesn't want to... <sighs> He doesn't want to challenge any of his views, so that's why he gets to Nathair's right, just stick with it, ignore all and any signs that he's wrong. That way he can focus on doing whatever he wants to do if he wants to live his life and focus on his other redeeming qualities and ignoring the rest of the world, which I find selfish. And then when he opens up to the world, which I was... I was planning to be really excited for the scene, and then when we got it, I was like, ah, okay, I don't really care. I was much more interested in the freedom of all the prisoners and how they're going to go about their day instead of Veritas be like, oh, of course he's just going to go off. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, what about his incompetence? So he fails at pretty much every task that's assigned to him by Nathair. Yeah. Uh, the Calidus has to basically work around Veritas's incompetence to, to achieve his objectives. This wonderfully like skilled swordsman apparently is so incompetent that when he pulls the sword in a tent, he doesn't know where it is uh, and, and ends up killing his dad for it. And then he blames someone else when it's clearly his fault. I mean, uh, he's so... So he's a kingslayer, right? Because he was incompetent and not smart, and now yeah. he's a kinslayer. Yeah. Because trying to say he's the black son? He might as well be. Yeah, I know, exactly. He he genuinely should be. Yeah. So, I mean, I I remember a decent amount in the next book, but not so much with Veritas. And I said this in the spoiler section, like, before you guys had finished, but, like, my big thing going forward is, like, I'm okay with all of this from Veritas, right? From what we just said. But it all hinges on how he what goes on in the next book and how he deals with the fact of what era just said that you literally killed a King in cold blood. You literally defended someone who killed their father in cold blood. You, I mean, you know what I mean? He has to grapple. If there's something that shows he grapples with this, I'm not saying redeem himself. Cause I think again, that's out of the question, but sort of just, he has to come to terms with how much evil he did and has to be open about it. That I would like to see whether he, you know, save someone or whatever is sacrifice. I don't know. I can't remember what happens to him, but I, that's all irrelevant, but I need some internal dialogue that he, he generally like comprehends how much bad stuff he did and not totally blame it on the for lying to him or, you know, he needs to take, he needs to be like, I am an evil person. Everything that I believed into is irrelevant because I, you know what I mean? Can, can we contrast that with another character who I think he's nothing like? He's not Camelon. 
Okay, so Camlin does not start the series with any kind of honor. Right. Any kind of courage or any kind of loyalty. Not really. He's a bandit and he's a murderer and he grows into it. But the one thing Camlin is, is he's smart. Or at least he's cunning, right? Yeah. And he basically, to me, he's the anti-Veritas in that he grows throughout throughout the course of the series and he becomes loyal and he does decide that he has something he wants to, to fight for. He becomes honorable. He becomes loyal. And he's smart enough to have that internal reflection when shows in the storyline. I would find it false if Veritas actually had any moment of introspection. That's not his character. That's not who he is. Yeah, but now that he's he's been sorry, so that now that he's finally learned the truth, because this whole time he has this, he just has this such grounded belief that Nathair is what you know, honest and good. Like that's been his whole. He's just blinded by that thought, and now when he realizes how naive he's been in that, I I would expect some introspection because this is the first time he's had the truth literally just pounded into his head. <laughs> it was there in front of him the whole time, but it was a literally spoken to him by the one person who, you know, could well, really get it through to him. This is, this is what we've been waiting for, for this character since what the middle way of book one. I mean, before we even recorded, we were all like, Oh, can't wait to see him finally understand that, you know, what they're doing is wrong. So I think this is another no. You know, you don't no. To be clear, you guys wanted that. I've always wanted him to die. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. One one person here wants him to die. The other people want to see his reaction when he realizes he's an idiot and uh, was on the wrong side. Yeah, you wanted him to see that he was wrong, though. You yeah, wanted you him also to at the same the same point of that book. You also wanted Camilla to die because he's obviously irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so this is just. I feel it's not. I don't want to say unfair, but. In my mind, for the past how many pages, at least a thousand, anything Veritas did, I was just like, well, here we go. Are we going to finally get, oh, okay, we're going to go do this again? And it just constantly repeated his storyline over and over again until we finally got to this point. So I don't know whether we're supposed to get his fall this late in the series. Because the whole point of his, his character arc is to have a fall multiple books long. Do we get a redeeming or do we just get his fall and then just some meandering in the book? So I feel like if he was going to just get the fall, then maybe it should have been in the end of the fourth book. Whereas, or we should have gotten this fall earlier and had some redeeming qualities in the rest of the series. Well, he's going to have to assault Mathair. That, 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 I mean, for, for it to take a redeeming arc, he's going to have to go out. He's going to have to like break off some of the Eagle Guard and go attack Mathair. That's the, that's the only possible way that in story he, he can be redeemed. I wouldn't buy it, but I mean, that's even like, not even as interesting to me as the idea, like with McKinn, like the basis for him, the basis for him that's interesting is that he's failed so many times. How does he, how does he live with himself? What does he do in that, in the face of you failing over and over? It's a, and with Veritas, it's not, if he's a redeem, it's like, what do you do in the face of realizing that you've been, your whole ideals have been a lie essentially for the past X amount of however long he's been within there. What do you do? Like what even like even internally, how do you deal with that? That's what's interesting to me. Not, you know, what he go, how he faces the God I, war or saves anyone. I don't disagree with that, but where, in the, where throughout these past three books have, have we seen Veritas have any sense of identity that wasn't based on somebody else? That's why I don't think he's going to do anything with there. I think he's going to try to go find Corbin because that's where, 
Suen is and who he, he loves after, you know, a couple weeks. Oh, that's so he's going to go there and he's going to be like, I'm so sorry I didn't see it. I want to help the real Bright Star. And they're going to be like, oh, actually, the Bright Star is fake. Doesn't really matter. Uh, and then maybe he'll go talk to them there. Well, well, I want to, I definitely have thoughts on that. Oh yeah, I mean we'll get yeah, into that juicy. at the in the yeah. Corbin but, Corbin yeah, section. But, but yeah, but, but since we're still on Viridus, but what did you guys think of the reveal to 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 because we had it very early on the reveal to Nathair. Hey, buddy, you're the Black Sun. Like, what what did you what were your guys' impressions of how Nathair reacted? Uh, I loved it. I, I for me that was the encap because I I remember how it went in the book. Um, my first time reading it and I was a little disappointed in my first read, but this time I thought it was just a great encapsulation of Nathair and kind of multiple things, right? The, the sunk cost fallacy. I mean, he's playing into that a hundred percent. I mean, he's, he realizes he's too far in there's turning back no, would be irrelevant. I hard disagree, but keep going, keep going. And the okay. second, uh, <laughs> second, the fact that, at the end of the day, Nathair, deep down, all he wanted to be was the hero. He doesn't care if that means he has to be on the good side or bad side. And I think this is showing it, that he's like, well, I'm going to be the hero in this way, even though I'm on the wrong side. He's like, I'm still going to be the hero. And yeah, I think he feels stuck and he knows he's he's not the person in charge. And so he's just playing into what can still make him look the best and come out. That's how I see yeah. it. Yeah, do you, do you mean hero or winner? I think yeah. it's both in his mind, but winner definitely. Yeah. Yes, it's narrow and but he's a coward. He he's too afraid to die for his beliefs when he invested his entire identity in it. I lost any shred of respect for him when he decided to do the blood oath with the literal devil. No, no, I'm done because. <laughs> You could have eased, the only thing he could have accomplished is his death would have actually helped everybody be like, oh, this is pretty fishy. Bright Star's dead? Okay. That's the only thing he could have done that actually would have helped the world. And instead he decided, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna play along. I think I might be able to, to you know, win against the devil. And then he just decides to do the, the blood oath anyways. But that's what I'm saying. He he didn't care about the world. He does not that he that was no, always yeah. that was always an illusion about that. Yeah. He just no, wanted, I wanted him to. I wanted right, him right. to to be the one who's okay, like we actually get somebody who does care about the world and who's willing to die. Because I thought that would have been a crazy turn. Right. But that's not what Gwen wanted to do. I think he just needed that uh that internal strife for that. I just don't think that was ever his character. I think it, it he wanted everyone to believe that was. You know, Nathair, but like you said, he is a coward. And what Era said, he just wants to win. And I think that was an important conversation between him and Calidus, how Calidus so easily kind of shifted the perspective on the whole Benalim and, uh, you know, the Kadoshim and what, how history can be so subjective and who wins and who loses. And he says, Are you that sure that, you know, the Benalim are the good guys? And it took, it was just like that to take. Nathair into saying, you know, yeah, maybe you're right. I can do a lot of good still as long as I'm on the winning side. I could still do. He still thinks he could, you know, even though. So, I don't know. I liked it because it just showed his true colors. And, you know, that really he wasn't, he wasn't like you said, willing to sacrifice. Certainly not himself. He At the end of the day, it took an easy conversation for him I'm to not, switch right back and say, oh, yeah. His, I, he killed his father. 
for something that he thought, you know, would make him, you know, the bright star or whatever. Or the greater good. Then, I mean, he's, yeah, he's still not the bright star. He's like, oh, man, no remorse there. So I, I liked it. But uh, what about you, Era? You were a little quiet. The path to hell was paved with good intentions. So he was already 90% of the way there. We've talked before about how his defining characteristic is his pride. And uh, really to touch your subject for Nathera was who would actually be in charge. Not really the fact that he was the Black Sun. If you go back and you reread it, he was more concerned about the fact that Caladus was the one in control and not him. Mm, right. And uh, it was, it's really, it felt like more like one of those uh, people who are like, cover their eyes and go, no, no, please don't do that. That's so awful, right? And then something awful happens. I mean, so uh, I really agree. I'm on Yeti's side. This was a long time coming, and it's actually nice to see that they're not pretend anymore. Because a lot of what he was doing was pretend. It was, it was self-delusion, I think. Yeah, but I find this less interesting. Like, I definitely felt that way the first read-through, so I, I, the first time I read that, I, was, I, just, I actually didn't find it believable. At first, I was like, oh, no, really? I'm, He's I'm not with you gonna... guys. I, I get that it's believable. I would have loved to see it be where he was a martyr instead. But once that happened, and so early in the book, I no longer cared about his character because I was like, oh, he's just he's just the whipping boy from here on. And then we finally get the Veritas section. I'm like, oh, and I don't know like how that goes. So this whole plot line kind of fell flat for me. So that, that would have been, actually worked better if Veritas was a smidge smarter. Yeah. Because then, then that would have been an interesting turn to have Nathair, who, look, I think we all agree that he wasn't like exactly the most uh, courageous person in the world. If he finds a spine at the last second and then gets killed, but right. then Varys steps in to take his place and becomes a Black Sun because Varys is a Kingslayer and a Kinslayer, right? Yeah. So he technically qualifies too. So... That would have been a neat turn, but Veritas is who he is, so what can we do? How, how many people qualify for this? Didn't Jail kill his kin? I'm uh, sure he killed a kin. Honestly, in this series, you got to have, like, if we really counted, we'd have at least five. <laughs> at least maybe five or six. Look, the, the, the one thing I'll say for sure, the one thing you don't want to be, a death sentence in this in this series, is to be a dad. If you're a dad, you're toast. Yeah. Well, what's her name? That one girl that killed the other dude, the other king, his dad, her dad. She she would qualify as the bright star or black sun whatever. Black sun, yeah. Those we had the talk. I was happy to talk about Nathera Veritas because that was kind of just a long time coming. Like you guys said, a lot of threads that needed to eventually. You couldn't go into the last book with them not, you know, having. Well, we're gonna out. we're gonna get the buddy Alcyon and Veritas run away together. Did you guys uh, predict that that Alcyon had? You know, people were holding no, his... Uh, but I loved it. That I loved. Family. That I loved. I, I thought that uh, Alcyon was controlled by one of those clay puppets. Yeah, we, we knew something was up. And we knew we had, like, some kind of hold. And it had to be strong. So I was really glad that we got the, got the family. That was cool. Yeah, it was a little both. He had the clay puppet and his family was being held at... Uh, I'll yeah. get... Real quick. Well, it doesn't have to be quick. Is Alcyon redeemable in your eyes? For all yeah. he did? Yeah. He's literally a hostage. But, Even though he killed multiple, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. People because you see him go out of his way throughout the entire journey, helping people like Suwin and stuff like that, where, yeah, he's doing what he's told, but he's also towing that line to where he's trying to do what he can redeem. Same thing with Fidel. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was about to say, to like, me, it's if the same if, thing. Yeah, if, if you're going to hold Alcyon responsible for his actions, then you have to hold Fidel responsible for her actions. Yeah. Right. And that kind of gets into some gross territory, if you <laughs> like. So. Yeah. He is for me too, but just because, you know, the whole having your family captured, I think it's like an interesting dynamic. Is it he's killing because he doesn't want his family to be hurt? Does that make I'd probably do the same thing if I was in his position? If you, you know. Well, it's relatable. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's relatable. It makes sense. And plus, he's also controlled by the figurine. So even if he doesn't do it willingly, yeah. he's going to be forced to do it. So, yeah. Right. That makes the decision easier. So that's why was, it gives him more liberties to take the opportunities and help people once in a while. I almost wish he didn't have the figurine because it'd be a more interesting kind of moral dilemma. Like if you're just, if you just had someone who was captive and you're doing these things, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I very much agree. And while we're talking about that, I want to give a slow, like, you know, clap to Calidus because it's nice to have like a, an antagonist who's intelligent and thoughtful and ruthless and willing to follow through on his ruthlessness. Yeah. I appreciate that. Right. How many times do you get antagonists who do the the big long talk or I'm going to like oh I need to make my plans more complicated? Nah, Calus is willing to do what he needs to do to, to accomplish his goals, and I appreciate that. Yeah, it's good. Confident I know we talked ones. about it uh the last episode, but my God, the, the lopsidedness between Calidus and Michael. It's it's <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> Elion just picked the worst person to be. I mean, honestly, everyone he chose uh, to be like his like person to He's like, I have well, a lot of people out there who's helping out. I'm like, well, they're all dead. They literally just failed yeah. over and over again. Because you, you went and said hi to all of them once every couple of years, and you never checked on them. <laughs> you know, That's it. Caldas has like a thousand freaking Kadoshim. He's got these bear giants. It's like he's he's killing it. Played a lot of chess. Oh, by the way, bears. The bears were freaking awesome. I, this may go into another subject. Another VIPs for era. Yeah, man. Uh, love these bears. They were awesome. Like, just quick, quick <laughs> story. Yeah, quick story. We went to Alaska, and so part of Alaska, you, you get the you get the option of going to the Denali uh, Preserve, and so there's wild bears there. So you're in your bus, and you're kind of walking, you're kind of going through. You see caribou and moose and all this other stuff. So we see a couple bears, and the driver's like, "Well, we have to be careful when we're near the bear." And he's kind of giving explanations, and then he begins to speed the truck up, and the Van's going maybe, what, 20, 25 miles an hour, and for whatever reason, the bear gets mad and starts kind of <laughs> chasing and catching up to the bus. Oh, and I'm like, are you kidding me? So the, he, we had to accelerate past 35 miles an hour, and the driver's explaining that, like, people think bears are slow but strong. But, like, bears are really, really fast and, yeah, no. like, super dangerous predators. And I'm like, wow. Anyways, yeah. love seeing giant bears kicking ass. So yeah, I've, I've seen the grizzly man documentary. I'm not going near Alaska. I tell you that. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, should we pivot to let's say McKin his storyline? Yeah. The old wolf. Yes. So, you know, again, essentially, like we said, McKin and Fidel are essentially on the run from, uh, Lycos and his pirate gang. He pit stops over with Veritas's family, kind of gets saved there with uh, Veritas's dad and his awesome older brother. 
his not so awesome younger brother. And um, yeah, I don't know. For I'll say this: I love the McKinn storyline. Like I, his one of the highlights of the book I put for me was the scene at the Bridge of Swords where he's like kind of on death's door and he has a conversation. You know, why do you want to return, or do you, for hate, or for love, or things like that? Um, having said that, I think Fidel is, um, I think just a tool to tell McKinn's story. And I don't think she's a really good character at all, to be quite honest with you. Uh, what do you guys think about those two? All right. So for Fidel, not so much that I don't like her. I'll agree that she's not like a great character. She doesn't really bother me too much. I think she's more of the concept, uh, to introduce the dolls and the mind control and then pivoting to just love interest. So you really don't get too much and throw that in with another repeat after repeat of run away, get captured, that whole thing again. I didn't really enjoy McKinn's storyline this book because of that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I much, much, much preferred his, I want to say origin almost of, of book two where he becomes yeah, the sure. old wolf, the gladiator stage. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to disagree with you hard on that one. And that's fine. Yeah, that's just a personal preference because I don't like this type of storyline, especially when it gets repetitive like that. So, uh, Fidel, I'm going to agree with you. I mean, look, there's a lot that could have been done with this character. And I think Mm -hmm. the character, there's the bones of a good character story that could have been developed here. Unfortunately, it just just looks like she's going to be... uh, What's the term nowadays? She's going to be fridged uh, as an excuse for McKinn to to wreak bloody vengeance on Lycos, which is sad because I think she, the character should be developed more. She's um, the mother of a uh, a bright star turned black sun. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there that could be very interesting if we get more into that. Uh, absolutely, but look, the old wolf, like. You're seeing like the development over time of 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 a couple things. One, just like on a just pure action level, like when he loses his temper in the tent and he goes off, like you yeah, get to good. see. Okay, he's in there with all these other like like superb fighters, and no one's close. Like he is just like murdering people left and right, and it's just basically just numbers that stops him. Because I mean, he like murdered Lycos's best possible pit fighter and it wasn't hard for him so right so soul uh you mr progression like you're seeing the development of like no that's my favorite like, part of his storyline i just didn't well, like the getting there and then now getting captured again and then having to get escaped or rescued again well but he, but you've you've now seen but that's that setup was set up to do two things one to show you how much better as a fighter McKinn is than almost everybody else, like right. in, uh, in this country. Period. Two, you now know that there's something that will break his control and resolve. If somebody tries to hurt Fidel, or when Lycos ultimately kills Fidel, like it's just going to be pure Nordic revenge. He's going to do a straight line right to Lycos, like just like the Terminator coming after John Connor. Nothing's going to stop him until he's wreaked his bloody vengeance. It's all being set up for that. So sure, he'll get tortured or this or that. And then it's just like that moment when he just snaps and he just is going to go absolutely berserk. All being set up for that. And I can't wait. 
No, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for everybody to like be running in fear, going, "The old wolf is coming on!" Running I'm away. still enjoying it. I just love, like I said, I'm a sucker for origin stories, and the origin of the old wolf in book two just really hits. And this is that middle part for me, and then we're gonna get that payoff in book four. That's that's just all it is. So that's why I mean I still enjoy it. I just don't enjoy it as much as I liked as the previous arc. That's all. Yeah, I'm, I'm and with then you both. we get more Lycosa mustache twirling, <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, cool, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, he's like a cockroach. I mean, the guy just he doesn't uh, doesn't go away. I'm with you both. I mean, I th- I definitely think there's like this is one of the things I w- I was thinking of like with fluff, where I was like the repetitive like he got caught and then they escape, but then he's caught again because of the, his own his own, um, you know, temper. So he's caught again and then he gets out by Veritas. Um, but I do also think like what, um, Eris said that it, it is a great progression. I think, I think the big scene that it was needed was that bridge of swords scene because I had the show. Okay. What do you want to live for? He used to just live for, he was like a cold heart, cold kind of just one step after another, like kind of like the Terminator until I'm just going to kill jail. It's like, you can't, you know, I think a lot of stories have said, like, you can't live life like that. <laughs> like, you know, revenge is not a way to to live life, even though that might be it. So now I think he was trying to say you need to live for more if you're going to keep doing these things. And in, in his eyes, that was love for Fidel, which I don't, again, don't think totally works. Pretty sure both these characters were married at some point. Uh, I know Fidel was. I'm pretty sure in book one it said McKinn used to have a wife that passed away. Um, but it, so, I mean. Okay, I don't remember. I was waiting for memory yeah it definitely hasn't been brought up since book one but um either way i you know i think in the face of trauma and you know life or death things it it makes a little bit it makes sense that they kind of latch onto each other but i don't know i i I felt like this was one that could have been like we just need to get to the point where like you said book four it all comes to a head with either jail or lycos or something like that whereas this kind of stretched out to include veritas's family and you know i feel like he needed to put some other stuff in there to let make this take a little longer to get to a certain point i mean at least for me mckinn is is it's running on a parallel track to the corbin and their story it's not really kind of lining up to it. It's kind of on a parallel track. And it's more of a, just to me, like, have you ever read those old Nordic myths about, like, all they want is bloody vengeance? And, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, like it's not like the hero, I'm putting hero in quotes, ends up being a good person because they've slaughtered the person's children and, like, stewed them in a pot and served them to the... Uh, to the person they wanted to avenge. The Northmen. So, yeah, so, yeah, so I was saying, it's like, just Literally go watch The Northmen if you yeah. want that, because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's exactly what well, it is. I mean, so so that that that's what I see McKinn's storyline as, except McKinn yeah. has, like, a touch of, you see it in book two, you don't really see it in book three, except for the Bridge of Swords scene. And we may see it again in book four, and I can, maybe it's going to be with, um I forget his name, with the young kid uh that's Kate Graham's home. Halen. 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 Where you know you see where there's that core of goodness and honor in McKinn that remains untouched. And no matter what happens, no matter how much he gets pushed to the edge, that core never leaves him. So I wonder if we'll see that in book four. Well, if you so like I said, what's interesting about McKinn, the whole series and 
is his failures. He failed, you know, uh, Castell in the first book. He failed Ogle in the second book. You're saying he kind of failed Halen, but he doesn't know that he's still alive. And you're, if what you say happens in the fourth book, he fails um, Fidel. I mean, that's what's interesting. What he again, how he's going to keep going on when he just keeps failing over and over. Not the love life, or not even revenge for me. It's just his own internal struggles with he's giving these oaths as a man and a person. He just keeps breaking them and failing them. To me, that is that you know that's almost uh, more painful to live with than anything else. Well, I'll say it's a good life lesson. It really is. I mean, uh, do either of you play sports growing up? Yeah, constantly. I mean, how many times has your coach said, you know, you can't, you, you've got to just put it behind, you've got to focus on the next play. You've got to put behind any failures and focus on the next thing. That's a good life lesson, right? At least in my career. Yeah. In my career, I, I try cases all the time. And bottom line, like, you know, you lose more often than you win. But if you still win, like, 40 or 50% of your cases, you're considered yeah. to be phenomenal, right? So, you know, the fact that McKinn doesn't give up and he keeps on coming back because he just refuses to give up hope, I think. Uh, I'm disagreeing with you and I'm rambling a little bit, Yeti. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think I think that's power. I think it's powerful, the fact that he just refuses to give up. Yeah. I still, he's still up there, probably one of my favorite, probably my favorite. Uh, you know, arc that's going forward. I will say you brought up, so like that escape with McKinn at the end where Veritas lets everyone out. I gotta yeah. say, that's, that's another tally to the, uh, the um, last second stabbed in the back moments where uh, Veritas's younger brother out of nowhere stabs Paradis and kills him. How, how often does that happen in this series where like, you know, they're you're, all getting You're out. averaging more than one a book so far, <laughs> I think. That's, that's the main thing. There's more than one a book, at least. Did you guys see him uh, being part of the dark the uh, dark side? I caught the clues this time around, but I didn't pick it up. Um, the first read. N- no, just because I want because they they played up the bond between him and Fidel, and I was I was expecting to see some cool interactions between the Thayer, Hector, and Fidel when they eventually do meet up in book four. Um, so I I just went over my head. I was waiting for the backstab. I just wasn't sure who it was going to be. So I was unsurprised <laughs> that it happened. Just whatever, you know. I was surprised Krellis. I thought he would be more, I don't know, fake. He was good. I oh, you, that he was like a good guy. You know? Yeah, because he's cool. He gets a little heated in a lot of those family moments when you yeah. see him with, with uh, Veritas and Hector and all that stuff. So I was like, I was curious how it was going to play out with him there. And uh, I liked his moments in it. It was cool. Yeah. There's one thing that actually truly surprised me in this book, and we're going to get to it here in a second. Okay. Should we well, get into the uh, Corbin storyline? No, we let's do Adana and Hallie. We'll see oh, yeah, the, yeah. and uh, and all of them and the whole the swamp yeah, yeah. people. Good. So yeah, so uh, Adana and Camlin. they escape Queen Rin's forces and stuff. Uh, they lose Halion to Connell. He, who who happens to spare him, which uh, that whole scene was, uh, I'm not sure I really mm. bought all that stuff. Um, but eventually they escape to, oh, and Merrick gets killed by Connell, who, you know, really Connell should just be irredeemable, irredeemable also. Um, but they escape to the, the swamps of Arden, which we've been hearing about since everything went downhill, that there was a rebellion. We find Pendathian, Pendathian again, 
Um, they're doing the best they can. And, uh, yeah, like I said, the recap, really, they survive based on Camlin's wits, uh, that local gourmet who just is a do it all. And, uh, Adana coming into a leadership role, which I thought was actually kind of cool. Uh, honestly, seeing her even contrasted to, um, to Corbin's, but I thought hers felt just as natural, uh, the way she was dealing with, with people who didn't really respect her in the swamps and stuff. Um, but for me, I just want to say the highlight of that whole, this whole sequence was the confrontation between Evnis and Vaughn. And I really wish we got some Vaughn POVs, but I thought that was like a, a fantastic kind of, kind of like a pleading by Vaughn to just have his father do the right thing. Like it's not too late. And I like that he didn't kill his father, that at the end of the day, it came down to someone else having to put him down. But I thought that was really it's, I, I just could feel that struggle, like as a son, as someone who's be who's really carrying guilt throughout this whole series, even though he shouldn't, because it's you're not your father, you're not doing the things your fathers are doing, but just trying to get rid of this weight to be like, it's not too late, please, you know, right your wrongs. This is one of the re- this what you're talking about, like Bond's arc is one of the reasons I like. I liked a ruin more than I did Valor. Like mm. it's because of something like this, because you see here, um, by way of a compare and contrast, Vaughn's love is selfless. Ultimately, he does not care or he can put aside what Evans did because he wants his father to be redeemed. He'll yeah. go through, he'll go through whatever he has to go through to take care of and love his father because to him, like that's what was important to him. Evanus, Evanus's love for Vaughn is selfish. He wants Vaughn to love him under his terms, and if Vaughn and if Vaughn won't love him and follow him the way he wants, he's willing to kill his son. Right. Literally willing to kill his son. Right. Un- so unhinged, totally unhinged. I guess. Yeah. Totally unhinged. But I mean, but look. In real life, like there are people who, who love you conditionally, and there's people who love you unconditionally. And I think it's right. a powerful message to send. Like, you know, you've yeah. got to be able to spot it when somebody does not love you unconditionally. Even when it's family. Even when it's family. Yeah. I and, mean, that was his last thought. He was going to kill him because it was going to hurt. He was worried about the way that people would look at him. I cheered. That was the first cheer of the book where I was it, in the middle of just like, Reno. I was like, yeah. And when I'm talking about, like, you know, getting some satisfaction, oh. watching Evidence die, or reading, I say watching, reading yeah. Evidence die, I'm like, oh, that was so good. Let me back up a couple <laughs> pages and read it again. Yeah. yeah. Just, oh, that was so and satisfying. Hamlin, oh, because you think you thought he was going to possibly do it with all of the whole Adana Royzen thing, and you're like, okay, I like how Hamlin's got their back. Hamlin's my man. And then you do it again, you're like, uh oh. And then he did it. He saved the day. It was it was just so good. But what I liked about that with Camelon is that he never loses this distrust. Like he 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 did that because he went to look for Vaughn because he's like, where's Vaughn? He did, he like, always had this on, distrust yeah, with him. It wasn't because mm-hmm. he you know, and he was kind of right, not really, but he was it's like his instincts. The man is incredible. Okay, he never lost that. He has that kind of what Arrow was talking about, comparing him to Veritas. He he never he has this self awareness that Veritas never had. And he has it about everything, the good, the bad, about himself, about others. He knows that, like, you know, there's things with that Vaughn's going through, good or bad. He's like, it's just something's not finished here with him, whatever that is. He's willing to think through decisions in his past actions. 
Well, and this is a good time to bring up Adana, too, because Adana, really, the beginning of this book, towards the beginning of this book, really binds Camlin to her. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, you helped us, you saved us. Like, you're not asking for anything. Like, you know, and then Camlin kind of says, you know, look, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not who you think I am. And Adana goes, no, no, your actions speak for you. You are exactly who I think you are. And then you get Camlin's internal monologue of, well, damn it. Now I, now I have to be this person, right? I can't fail her now, right? So, and that's partly what propels him to, to distrust Vaughn because he's become so loyal to her. Well, it's another mark of a good leader with Adana. She's reminding him over and over again of his worth. You know, everyone needs that. Even this, you know, people with the biggest egos sometimes. You need, I, I know I do in my life sometimes. Yeah, it's not needing this. Some, yeah, that's that's right. a, Just anyway, you need, applause. <laughs> whether you're at your job or you're at your friend group or anything, that your family, it's nice to be shown how, how much your worth is, you know. And Adana was constantly throughout the series letting him know before, not even that he was asking for it, just you wanted to make sure that like, hey, we wouldn't be here without you, you know. And I think he, I don't think he ever got that in any other setting he was in, whether it was Braith or, which was a nice, uh, man, that guy's a cockroach too. Got his throat slit and he still came yeah. back. How do you feel about uh, Wraith and Braith for this, uh, so this arc? That was my, I was, the POVs with Wraith. I mean, I could have done with the, I, did, I didn't need so many Wraith POVs. I'm sorry. That was one of the ones where I'm like, man, we're spending, not that I got a lot, but I feel like it was, Someone had to be there for a lot of conversations with Rin or whoever, so they used him as as that. Who is going to be Rafe? I mean, Rafe is going to be shooting for for Corbin, which is going to be ridiculous. He's too low scale on the totem pole, so who's going to be going after Rafe now that he's drink, drunk from the cup? Well, that's Rafe's entire arc for this. This whole book was just to introduce the cup and get it to Corbin. That's that's the reason we got POVs to him. In my opinion. Yeah. But remember, he drinks from the cup, so it's going to give him something. It gave mm-hmm. the Giants immortality. So what's it going to give Rafe? Well, even if it gives, like, you assume, you're meant to assume, I guess, is that he's going to get immortality, but it's not, um, it's not like healing. It's like the immortality where you you don't age because these Giants are still dying when they drink from the cup. They're just living thousands of years. So I'm assuming, and a prediction here is, Rafe drinks from the cup, starts getting a little better, still dies from Corbin, but they don't understand that he drank from the cup, and then he falls back in someone else's hands, and then they got to get it back. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Uthus talked about what it does. I won't spoil it, but it's it does some specific things. To me, there was a moment in this book with Rafe that I thought was really telling, and maybe what Gwyn wanted to tell about Rafe. So when... Camlin and Vaughn are abducted or like ambushed by Rafe and Braith. And I think that's when Braith dies, when Camlin, they kill him and Vaughn lets Rafe go away. And he's saying, what do you, you know, what'd you do that for? And Vaughn essentially says, he's just a kid. You know, when it all comes down to, he's just a kid. And I thought he, that must've meant something that he puts that in there to let him know he's, he's isn't, you know, stubborn and hateful and a bully and all that things. But when it comes down to it, he's a kid who was abused by his father, who can't get over the fact that a kid he used to bully is better than him and is rising and people like him and not like Corbin and not him, you know? And I I thought that was interesting to have a character like that. Who's essentially just a kid who keeps surviving and making the wrong decisions, whether they're selfish or not. 
Nature versus nurture. Yeah. But he's not Nature some evil versus- like, you know, this big evil like JL or whoever who's super ambitious. He's just it's just a kid who's making bad decisions and he's still kind of a bad kid, but still a kid. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the way you're treated as you're growing up with your child like that. Um, but I, I think Dath got beat by his fisherman dad too. So, well, to, to, I mean, look at there's now. that. <laughs> but he had a he had a good friend group. Camlin took him. You know, yeah, he, he could have. He also had Corbin's family who treated Dath like family a, as well. Yeah, he had a good support group around him. I, I will say, I do have one complaint about Camlin. I I think he's got a lot of plot armor. I think after that first book, Gwyn said anyone can die. And then after that, I'm like, you know, so, Camlin just seems like he's untouchable. <laughs> so Camlin, but not McKinn, seems like he has the plot armor. Because McKinn is what I'm like, oh, well, he literally pulled a knife out in the war room. I'm like, nope, he's not dying. Too much plot armor. There's not a chance in hell he's going to die. And then I was like, okay, he's, he's going to get captured again. So that was one of those things. But Camlin, I feel like, I don't know, he could still like, die. I think there are three untouchable characters in this book, as far as I'm concerned. It's oh, McKin, Cam- McKin, Camlin, and Corbin. Everybody else is potentially fair game. I agree you with know? two of those. Um, yeah. <laughs> I agree with two of those. Maybe not so much a third. Like, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe it'll change if my, you know, my memory is definitely hazy in the fourth book. But to me, McKin looks like he has a death wish from the second book. Well, even if, well, worst case scenario, if McKinn dies, he's going to die having killed Lycos, having killed Jael. He will have accomplished all of his goals before he goes to the great, before he right. crosses the Bridge of Swords, right? Yeah, until but we see right. that, we're like, oh, he's, he's fine. He's not going to die. Right. Yeah. You know that he has, he's going to accomplish whatever until that goal you're saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my only thing with Camlin. He just seems to get out of, and that he has Meg, who just, this girl can do everything. This little, what is she, five? And she's, no, I, think eight. I think this is an eight year old. That 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 is the best Deuce Machina, Deuce ex Machina <laughs> ever. That eight year old girl will save him from anything. With a half <laughs> Great scout in the swamps. <laughs> She's just yeah, better than the birds. I mean, really. Yeah, because we okay. lose a bird. We did. That's true. I mean, we that, did lose a bird. Tough one for uh, fetch. Was it fetch? Yeah, fetch. Yeah. Poor one out. I knew one bird died. I thought it was uh, the other one. I couldn't remember. So when Fetch died, I got surprised again. I'm like, oh, all right. This is how it goes. But, all right. Can we... Uh, and Cam gets all the good lines, too, so he can't die. <laughs> he really does. He gets all the good lines. So. <laughs> all right. Can we jump into the, the Corbin show? Okay. Oh, too cool. Fine. Well, Let's they're all it. in there. They're all, it all gets, I mean, he just, the thing with Corbin, he, he touches so many different characters, just, you know, the Graham's hold. So we'll get a lot in. What I want to start with Corbin, I, we got to dig into it and you brought it up earlier. So, so the big thing when this is that Michael tells him, Michael tells him at the end that there is no prophecy after him dealing with this whole time that he's how to be the bright star, like the pressure, he doesn't think he, you know, why him and all this stuff. Michael literally says, you know, I just made that all up. It was to, you know, that was the best, in my view, the best tactic to keep, to have Azeroth play our game, saying, hey, here's a prophecy and to follow this. And I liked it because, you know, I thought of this quote by Michael. He says, you think not? Michael asked pleadingly. We are what we choose to be. 
What makes a king a king? Is there something different about him? Does special sacred blood run in his veins? No, he is chosen, he believes it, and the people believe. He rises to the task, or he fails it. And I felt like that was what Gwyn was trying to say with this whole series. As you know, Corbin's so upset that he's like, was fooled this way, but Michael said, what's the difference? Everyone believes you're the bright star, they believe in you. It's no different than if it was a prophecy. So how did you feel about that reveal uh, era you were chomping at the bit for? <laughs> so... A, it was the first time I was actually truly surprised at the book. I loved the idea that the prophecy was false. Really, genuinely. On a variety of levels. One, it means the Benelim aren't necessarily working in humanity's best interest. They're working in their own best interest. So, him pushing Corbin to go do things and Corbin actively pushing back against it was actually the right choice. So, every time Tuckle said, wow, this, or Tukul, how do you pronounce his name? Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Well, man, this Corbin kid, he's got spine. I like him. He's making his own <laughs> decisions. I was kind of all, like, it was building up to that moment without us realizing it. So I love that. Two, we've known since the beginning of the story that Elyon has been absent. So, and we know um, on the other Kadoshim and Azroth, they're active and present and actively participating. So here's what we have by the end of book three. We have the forces of evil active and participating. We have God absent. We have the Benelim not actively working for humanity and humanity standing completely on its own. Now, I know we're not supposed to talk about religion and stuff on Green Team, and I won't, but if that's not saying something, I'm not quite sure what what else <laughs> does, right? But I mean, what he's trying to say, I think, is pretty self-evident. But I really think it's powerful because all of that, that reveal, and everything happens after Corbin has fought a fallen angel one on one, one of the best one, but in the body of the best fighter, and kicked its ass <laughs> and killed it, right? Yeah, that was that was a good fight. And it's just, it's to me, it was a powerful and inspiring message at the end of the day. I know Corbin feels betrayed and everything, but kind of the message of humanity doesn't need any of this. Humanity can do it on its own. Just have to believe and do it, right? And it really kind of shows Michael's, to your point, Yeti, it shows his absolute and utter incompetence. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it he, really, he really, had... really does the foresight of quote picking the rules that his enemy is going to follow by. And yet he still fumbled at every opportunity. I mean, he literally creates a false prophecy that gets outplayed by the false prophecy. <laughs> it's his I false mean, prophecy. <laughs> I mean, that takes an epic amount of stupidity. I mean, it's just, but anyways, so, and I'm, and I mean, I think it's pretty evident that they've been a limb want to enter the world to, rule it on behalf of Elyon or whatever and I guess take out the Kadoshim. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're on they're on humanity side either. What do you think, Sol? I agree. Um I di it didn't really surprise me as much as Era, mostly because to me when they're bringing up all these challenges and and mindsets of who is the bright star is it really flip-flopped 
it's not a it's not a stretch to me to be like, oh, there's actually no bright star or black sun. Because to me, that kind of rolls through my mind when you're like, all right, if you're questioning the core beliefs of these people and then like, what, what could be what? What if none of it's what? What if it's, you know, what if it's option C, D, E? So that didn't really surprise me, but I did like it um, because, like Ari said, it really did set up Corbin to begin with. He's always been like this. It really never mattered. His family taught him to be the way he was just because of the way he was. And it's just how to be a good person. And I'm, that's to me, that's going back to the the class issue that I kind of brought up for mostly book one and book two, where it's you have all these lower level class people that are much more humble and less bloodthirsty and more caring and forgiving. And you even see where Vaughn is uh, a better person than his father because Vaughn is... Uh, well, he is hanging out with uh, Rafe and them, but he's also learning. He's He started interacting with Corbin and, and his f- friends a little bit and became a better person while before the fall of Ardon and things like that. So I think this also ties into that where you're going to see humanity starting to rise up and it's not necessarily going to be under the bright star for, I think, because it's got to be released to the public at some point in book four. And I think it's going to be a lot of uh, who wants what and deciding fate and either possibly uniting giants and things like that. Because you see a lot of the giants coming to terms with not necessarily hitting each other in the same with humanity. You make, I like your point where you said kind of the lower people are shining. And I thought it was interesting where, you know, with this fake prophecy, obviously Calidus has his people he chose. He, he, you would say I meticulously plan this out and certain people in power and this and that. And I find it's interesting. Like we said, my calls, a lot of his people he picked are kind of floundering or dead or didn't work out, but unexpectedly the people, people do rise that he didn't expect McKinn, Camlin. Yeah. He, he never, he would never would have planned for people like that to mm-hmm. be the ones that kind of turn, come to their aid and be on their side. And I think that's just kind of the beauty of just in general, this fake prophecy is like, you can't plan for who's going to rise and do good and, and um, kind of have courage and truth and honor and things like that. Um, Whereas maybe with, you know, when it comes to standard good versus bad, you can kind of predict like with Caldas, the people he picks, they're all greedy. They're out for themselves, like Rin, things like that. And you kind of can predict where that leads the people like that, at least in classical you know, fantasy stories. And, and well, and let me add this to, to just to piggyback on what your all of both of your excellent points. It makes Corbin a real hero now. Yes, hundred percent. I mean, it makes him like a real hero, not like a prophesied hero or whatever. Like, if he chooses to to follow through with the whole bright star thing, whether or not he reveals his false or not. Like, really, like, that's the metal. That's metal M-E-T-T-L-E of a hero, yeah, right? It's the, he's the champion of Elyon. They make a point of saying that. He's like, no, 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 there's no fighting against so-and-so. You're the champion. But he's really the champion of humanity. And that's what I really like that... I don't think Corbin's going to matter whether he's the Bright Star or not because he is the champion of humanity. If you want to title that the Bright Star, it's going to be... It's going to be fun to see that go down uh, just because you see his followers constantly, uh, like Graham's Hold and everybody else joining him and even the people that were 
with Ufalas or whatever that dummy's name is or was. Don't really care. Oh, okay. So I love. Can we talk about? Are we done with this? Because I'm ready to talk about Ufalas and Graham's hold and all that. Okay. Um, right. Real quick, I just want to say you kind of touched on it. I love that scene where they kind of give Corbin. I don't, was it a crown or the thing they put on his arm? It was a torque. Yeah. The torque. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And he says he's not like you know worthy of all this stuff and i what have i done and i love where every each person kind of went along where graham's son says you saved us from when our hole we were dying at our hold and kerwin said you crossed the world to save me the giant said we you know you saved us from dying in the battle of the cauldron like i love how each person went through and kind of did their little uh hokey cheesy spiel to him to kind of show him like listen you (laughs) get a kid like you're doing great things so yeah I, i thought that was an effective scene and I do have a question for Soul. So I know you're a fan of progression fantasy. I progression, agree. yeah. So what do you think about Corbin's progression as a fighter, as a swordsman? Oh, that, that's that's the first, like I said, the first time I cheered in this book was Evanus's death because it was very close to this scene. And then I got to this scene, and I think I cheered like three times because it's mostly just you get the uh, oh no, I'm gonna lose this fight. But wait, and then you get, you know, your ingenuity, you find the protagonist finds like some other way to use their skills and their training to 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 show their advancement. He, he used skills from other people, not just his skill with Gar. Like he yeah. used Soul's mood. Uh he might have um, used some coral and stuff, you know. What's what's his what's the dude's name from the book one that died? Oh, Toll? Yeah, Toll. Yeah, he oh, used yeah, that just sand like trick from Toll. Yeah, so he he's learning the culmination of his upbringing yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna show my age oh no yeah so uh, he's, he's busting out the uh the tablet with the chisel on it okay. <laughs> i am i am the first time i read the icewind dale trilogy by r.a salvatore with Chris Dorfer, and the first time like he started having fights with like these master swordsmen and then in every like the culmination of every book Ritz has like this culminating scene with some incredible swordsman, and then he always discovers kind of like, or he invents or creates some new trick to win the day every time. And it was always epic. It was always awesome. I always loved it. And this moment when he beats the fallen angel, I had that same sensation again. I'm like, yes. It was just, it was just well done. Just on a pure punching, having fun, and just reading a good battle scene. I just, enjoyed it yeah yeti did you did you like that scene the this final battle uh the one-on-one yeah 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 i liked it i know you know with those scenes i think i think what it really comes down to what i like in writing in fantasy is when you have those one-on-ones it's not so much like the bad the way they fight that i really enjoy it's usually either the reactions of people or from other point of views um, like the, Joe Abercrombie does this really well where someone's watching the bloody nine fight and they're like, Oh my God, you know, the thing that's you true. Know, just, yeah, that he, he can really pinpoint and then they'll go back to a, the internal monologue during the fight. So things like that. So I really liked at the end when he does do it and you get the reaction from, um, jail's right hand man where he's in shock. He's like, he literally can't move because like jail's telling him to charge, you know, cause he's a sneaky a-hole. But to get that moment where like, Everyone's cheering behind Corbin, like pumping their fist, and he was saying truth and courage. Then it cuts to the POV of Uthless, 
Uh, and it's, he's just, he can't move. He's like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like, I thought it was really effective writing the way, because it almost kind of felt like how the reader was feeling. Like, oh, I can't move either. He just, he just, <laughs> used it. It was so I got chills. Yeah. yeah. So I think that I, stuff was, I liked about it. So in general, I love, one of the, one of the things I like about like an unreliable narrator POV or like an, you're in the person's head POV is that to Corbin's point of view, hell, I just survived. This is great or whatever, but he doesn't think he did anything special. Right. And then you see it from, to your point, you see it from the outsider's point of view and they're like, holy crap, we just saw Superman. Like, yeah. that was incredible. So, yeah. And so, Corbin's like, ow, like, you know, I just got stabbed in the chest or whatever. This yeah, he's like, ow, I'm in pain. I'm, I'm alive. All right, we'll deal with the rest later. Let's see, let's see how the yeah. rest of the war is coming. The way Gwyn... Like I like I like build up too. Like how he you know, when they first go up for that duel, it's three people. It's Jail, Uthless, um, and then the hooded figure. And he's like, All right, he's not gonna fight Jail, so he'll fight a second, and then they both walk away, leaving this hooded figure. And then Corbin's like, What? And that like that kind of atmosphere building really works to those one on one battles. And then when he takes his hood off and he sees it's Sumer, he's like, Oh boy. And he just like his heart drops. You know what I mean? That stuff really kinda makes the tension kind of ramp up and you know, so that's what I like. I thought he did a good job of that stuff. Yeah, no, I agree, and that's why uh, I, I'm going to divert away from this book so you can edit this part out. That's why I get on you about the Farseer trilogy so much because, you know, Robin Hobb never talks talks about how awesome a fighter Fitz actually is, but he's not an idiot when it comes to fighting because everybody else is utterly terrified of fighting him. They just never talk about it. He never talks about any action. You can edit that part out. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, no. It- Two different styles, but there are certain authors who really kind of like thrive in these. What, like, I'm telling you, Abercrombie, I think, does it better than anyone. Like, has these one on one that there's a lot of high stakes between two people fighting. I think, um, I, I can really get juiced up by them, but sometimes if they're just if the descriptions are really about them fighting a lot, I can glaze over kind of quickly sometimes. But I, I didn't think that fell into this category for this one, so. Also, I'm, no, I, don't, I don't know who the best fighter now is in the world. Like you said, the old war, everything's just getting so mixed up. I, is Car is Gar? Well, you don't, you don't need Corbin? to. They want you to be wondering. That's the whole point. Yeah, I lost track. You want a right? convergence in the sea. Yeah. You beat a fallen angel. That kind of has to put you near the top of the heap. That's all I got to say. <laughs> right. You're your top dog. Yeah. Um, uh, what did you so want to talk about, Era? I was like, what did you guys think about Tuckle? His yeah, cool that's what I want to talk about next. Yeah, heartbroken. Cool. I was heartbroken. Loved him. Um, I did love all his fights with the bears and the giants, and just with Corlin. He's like, no, no, I'm going to show you how it's done. We're going to go do this, and it was just, it was great. He's like, this is what we live for. Even if like we got to go help people, which is another great moment. It was like, yeah, could they have like kind of walked away and saved some themselves more and waited for the bright star yeah but they didn't because they're like no this is who we are this is what the bright star would do we're gonna do it and then they did it mm-hmm. even if they lost a lot of people it was great it was great uh you era did you how'd you like tuckle and graham's hold and his out demeanor he died the way a norse viking should fighting right <laughs> so you know, he went out in a blaze of glory. That that's kind of what what he was. That that was his purpose, right? So yeah. So he did that. Uh, a couple parts that that irritated me a little bit. They're just minor things. 
Like, the giant's getting really pissed at him for, like, killing the bear. Like, what do you expect him to do? Like, pat him on the head? I'm like... Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're in a war. Stuff like this is yeah, going to happen. fighting. So, that, you know, that, that that's true. You have a good yep. point. So, to, so, anyway, so I thought to cool... He, his ending was appropriate. It set up his son, and I like the little fight afterwards to kind of like, you know, set up his son to be the leader. I also think it's a bit of foreshadowing as to what's going to happen to Gar in the next book. So uh, that seems to be the destiny for these, these Jihar, but as long as they go down fighting, I think that's kind of part of their, their ethos. Yeah. I did, feel, I did feel bad for how Graham got taken out, oh, though. That was, that was, that was brutal. That was brutal. That, that was oh, bad. I felt really bad for that one. And Ufalus was even like, mm. ten minutes later, he's like, feel like it got the best of me. Probably shouldn't have done that to the guy. I do feel a little bad for him. I was like, even the cold-blooded murderer, who's a terrible person, was like, yeah, I took a little too far. So that was the best part of that storyline. I felt like was Ufalus. Um, so this oh, is this was Jail's like right hand man, new right hand man. Um, yeah. We saw him a little bit in the second book when McKinn was like, how could you? Stand by jail. He's just, you know, so I chose. And yeah. I really, I, I like that having that character who's, he's a special sort of evil where he just, he's a go with the flow evil. He's yeah. like, this is a side I chose. I know you become your friends. Not really a great so man. Yeah. Yeah. He, I just feel like it's, it's, it's like a lazy evilness where he's like, yeah, he's, you know, he's obviously not good, but this is, a, you know, I, I signed up with this guy and I'm just, it's not really based on loyalty. It's just based on, and even when he's killing, he's like, well, you know, jail, I don't really have time for this, and I, I hate to do it, but I'm going to have to kill you with these bears because I need an answer, and jail needs an answer. Like, it's just, he kind of shuts off this moral part of his brain to just say, well, this is the way life is, and he doesn't make any hard decisions. I felt that's like a, a distinct kind of evil in this book. I would have loved Veritas to have evolved into an Ulfalus. To kind of be the contrast to Camlin kind of going from the bottom to the top. Right. I have yeah. her just kind of fall down to be a more competent kind of Ulfalus, right? Yeah. Well, you're sound, essentially to go full villain, right? right. I, I feel like Gwyn is holding Veritas back. He does. He wants him to be redeemable. He doesn't ever run it. I think that was your problem with it, I think, is where he's like, you just need, like you said, a total opposite of Camlin who starts on one end and is totally turned to this other end based on circumstance yeah. and beliefs. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I can see it. I, I, Uthless to me just seems, I just, I think there's times, he seems very real world to me where it, I don't know how to say this without. Uthless would not have been out of place. In, no, yeah. I no, Uthless would not have been out of place in a Joe Abercrombie book. Yeah. Also just the, this world in general, we're also getting the POVs of people that are like the good ones. And then you get the bad ones. Ufla seems like the guy who's, who's your everyday war leader. I'm just thinking of real life. Anyone who's in a who's like uh, either my boss is a bad person or this leader so is a bad person. Postman's but... like going to be this guy who'd feed me to a bear if I didn't, <laughs> you know, take him out to lunch or something. I was again. I don't. I'm just trying to think but, of people who don't want to speak up because it takes too much work and like this way is easier. I know it's bad. I know he's kind of a bad guy, but I'm. Yeah. I, I got a good thing going for me, so. That's kind of a distinct lazy evil to me. So okay. one of the one of the defenses Nazi guards used at the Nuremberg that's trials was I didn't want to bring up the Nazis, but that's what I was thinking. Fine, I don't mind. So 
No, go ahead. I go. So yeah, you, know, you. I was just following orders. I was yeah. just doing what I was told. It's not really me. It's my bosses. Well, no, you pulled the trigger yourself, right? So that's what he reminded me of. Like a fleshed out version of that, where it's just like, I know this is probably the wrong side, and jail's a terrible king, obviously, but I'm here. I'm, you know, I'm, this is the side I chose. Well, I mean, like, so I, and to your point, so there, there's a famous, all these famous in Jewish circles, uh, journalist. Her name is Hannah Arendt, and she wrote this book called The Banality of Evil, which is that evil isn't like these big, grandiose things. It's, right. I was just following orders and filling out paperwork, which is pretty much what Hopeless is doing, right? Well, that's why I love that POV. You know, it fleshed out the world uh, a bit more to say, like, not everyone is like Dale, you know, who's just this mustache twirly, like, this guy clearly sucks. Um, You know, there's people like this. And I I really was, I I think it worked at being just a one book POV of satisfying death. (laughs) No, to, to, to your point, I loved it. I loved it. I loved how his his death was dealt with so offhandedly. Right. That was a good descriptor. That and Evnis' death were kind of just like there's a pressure on his back and he looks into the face of, you know, um, Graham's son. Can't remember his name. And the last thing you hear is him screaming. It's like, oh, that's that's satisfying. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm having a point with like Tuckle, his de- his death didn't really like break me up too bad. If I, if I'm being completely honest, I did think I actually feel like he's a more fleshed out character than like Gar, which was kind of my problem with it. Where I don't know, they kind of blend in a little bit to me. Where they both love Corbin, and but we just got so much more a POV of Tuckle that I'm like, oh, this guy's cool. Kind of like what Soul was saying. He's you know just his outlook is he loves to fight. He loves to do you know a good fight for the good cause. And it just, to me, it actually almost sullied Car a little bit, where I'm just like, I just, where it just seems like a cardboard cutout who just loves Corbin at this point and will fight for him. And that's what I was kind of, I appreciated that he had that kind of duel with Akar for the leadership. I'm hoping he gets a little bit more to do. But other than, you know, Tuchel seems like, like you said, Era, he has this, we see these internal monologues of why he likes Corbin, which made him progress not just because he's the bright star, but these qualities. And I wish, and I honestly made me wish we had some of that with Gar. Well, go ahead here. I see. You. Oh, okay. So, so there's, there's a couple things. One, there's a give and take here. So if, if he's going to write within the space that the book is, then, you know, you can only have so many developments, so many POVs, which then yeah. leads to the other point. He could have done this book with, this entire series with less number of POVs. Yeah. I mean, so there was some type of editor slash uh, author choice between number of POVs and the length of the book. And I'm not sure if we'll ever be able to parse out which is which. And yeah, because I think this is like book one is when we get all this stuff where we get Gar, we get all this stuff, we get Storm. And Eric, you mentioned that from book two, Storm is relegated to just the white ball of fur that attacks people now. Definitely. Same thing with Gar, all these other things. We're moving along in the plot and the world lines. All these people that are have already been like kind of fleshed out a little bit, they're not getting more fleshed out. Right. They're already established. We move on to new characters or 
other interesting plot lines, very rarely, except the very main POVs, are getting any more development. And that's, that's a, great, a great point. It's a small. It's a small issue. Um, but I, well, I think I, people have brought that up in reviews I read. I think they mm-hmm. think like I've been kind of waffling. They they don't like the characters for the most part. They feel wooden, and they point to these characters that start off like you said in Malice. We get a good view of them, and then they're kind of left behind for either new POVs that, like you said, something like a, a Euphilus. Right. Or they just focus more on our core four. And yeah. I think that's happened. Like Gar, I feel like that a little bit of a struggle with that. Um, yeah. Dad. Um, Feral. Halion a little bit. Halion and Connell. Um, yeah. You know, so I think that is a little bit of his limitations. And from what I hear, his he gets better with each series he writes. Like I hear the next trilogy's better. Oh, yeah. I hear this, I'm still I hear enjoying newest series. Time, yeah. Despite yeah. all of our nitpicks, this is mostly just for conversation and what I feel about the book. I still really enjoyed it. And I'm, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and Soul's point, I would 100% recommend this series to anybody yeah. who likes fantasy. This is, I mean, this is this enjoyable. Is yeah, this yeah. is good yeah. stuff. It's not, I'm, I'm, just fo- I'm just thinking on like a character basis. Whereas like mm-hmm. I've had series where I read and I'm like, I'll never forget these characters. And mm-hmm. I don't think he aside from maybe a couple, I don't think that would happen with these because he has so many. And like you said, he just kind of, he doesn't abandon them, but he, he does kind of move on to, and build some other character up or just like said, focuses on McKinn and stuff like that. So that that's actually an excellent point. And I guess it depends. So you mentioned something earlier, which I think is very relevant to this, which is that every author has different strengths. Right. And I'm not, I don't think, it sounds like he gets better with character development, but character development, at least in this series, is meant more as a vehicle to tell the plot. Yes, and it's not—it's not an end in itself. Robin Hobb, the whole story is the character development, and the plot just kind of is wasting. It's kind of like you're along for the ride on the plot, but you're focused almost always on the character development itself, and that's just the way the author writes. Yeah, so. I don't think he can't do it. I think in this series, he is its priorities. I think he's his priority is the plot, and like he could, I feel like he literally could build a whole, like you said, a whole story, a trilogy around McKinn, and McKinn would be one of the most memorable characters in fantasy. I really believe that, but I think he stretches it so much for this plot. I mean, he's doing an epic fantasy. He's doing this whole God War, and he has mythology. I mean, we didn't even talk about it, but he has this whole seven treasures thing. Yeah. He really didn't get into it too much. I. I pr- Maybe he does more in the fourth book, but I mean, you'd think, I think this book might've been even better if, if he just had this big treasure hunt, you know what I mean? And the characters going around and focusing on that. But so I think he tries to do so much in this first series that he, he you know, it's just like up and down with the characters. Like the soul was saying, like he's really, he hits a good stride with someone and then he moves on to someone else. So this character goes, development goes down a little bit while this one goes up and then this one, you know what I mean? And it's not that they go down. It's it's sad. You're right. They I feel say like the, the author things. is trying to trust us and be like, all right, you understand how Dath acts, how Feral acts, the camaraderie between them and Corbin. We're good. We'll throw background. you some hints, and that's yeah. it. Like you're yeah. meant to be like they're still doing that. They're still having that relationship with Gar. We're just not going to show you because I want to focus on other stuff to save word count and get to other POVs that want us to tell. 
I think he just loses depth. I agree with you. But like yeah. Gar is like I, I keep thinking I'm specifically thinking that. Like just think of that first book in Malice, the mystery behind him. That was one of the selling points for me of that that book. Yeah. Like, all right, who's this guy that clearly is sure. not stable? And then like you could go deeper into that and it kind of just levels off. Like you said, it doesn't go down, but he just moves into oh, there's Tuckle. Oh, so now we have Gar's father who's also devout to Corbin, who really you know what I mean? And it just I don't know. To me, Gar, Gar, I keep thinking of like someone laid to the wayside who could be a really, really interesting. Like, who's the guy in Wheel of Time? The uh, with Moraine's uh, oh, guy. Tom. Tom yeah. No. 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 Lan. Lan. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like he could be like a Lan type character, but he's not getting that kind of treatment at all. Like depth wise, to me. Yeah. So, look, I think it's an excellent point, and something I, I just I don't know. I'd have to read the other other series to to know whether this is true or not, but. It would be interesting to see Gwen take a book and just focus on one POV. Like, have it just be through one POV the entire one book. And kind of, what ha- does, can he do that? Or does he need the multiple POVs? So, it just it, that, that's just, we don't know. That just depends on the author. I like you guys. I'm not totally disagreeing. Like, like you guys said, he's just writing a different type of book. He's writing a plot-heavy epic kind of like god war type of book that's what his focus is first and he's i think he's succeeding in that you know what i mean i want to see how he sticks the landing and then i'll i'll put judgment on uh how i think he may be able to do other books Uh, i i'll say this that like duh gwen is obviously a very talented writer that's we're not saying anything that's not like obvious yeah and if this so ruin then be the third book he's ever published, if I'm understanding that right. Correct? Did he? Yeah, did he do this in four subsequent novels? Uh, wait, what do you mean? This is his third book he's ever written. So, like, Right, and then he did, he finished it, and then he moved on right. to other series. Then there's so, like, uh, I haven't read any more, but there's a second trilogy that takes place a while after this one. Okay. So, if if this is his third book he's ever written or ever published. Then there's a lot of obviously he has a lot of talent. There's a I, I can't wait to read his later books because there's nothing but upside. Yeah. Given the way given his imagination, the way he writes. He can get tighter, he can focus in on certain characters and kind of just make the story about a certain set of characters instead of having an expansive number he's already laid the groundwork for the world so he can continue staying in this world if he mm-hmm. wants to i mean honestly i'm kind of really excited to read more gwen books after i finish the series yeah, yeah. i'm with you I, I i i'm with you i definitely i i mean solar in the same boat you're not era but with uh james islington i i'm with it just the way he ended the the Lacanius trilogy. Yeah. Like there's a certain Katie. character art that if an yeah. author can make me feel that way and let me have that much fun with the character, yeah. I'm excited to see what else they can do with their works. Right. I'm pretty forgiving. He, he did so well with that one character. I ignore right. everything else that I, yeah. I think he was uneven with that. I'd read more. You know. So, so funny. You mentioned, it's funny. You mentioned Islington because I was actually thinking about Islington as I was reading book three. And I was thinking to myself, well, why oh, am I okay? Why was I okay with Gwen, but not with Islington? Mm-hmm. Because I think overall, you're probably mm-hmm. getting way more 
quality, I want to say, as a, as a third book author. Oh, Ellington, Islington, I feel like. No, because I, I don't want to. I was getting I a third of what I wanted. And yeah. whereas Gwen, I'm getting like 95% of what I want. <clears throat> well, two things. Well, first of all, we're doing a crossover episode. That's fine. First of all, <laughs> Gwyn, Gwyn's a better writer than Islington. It's just, yeah. just straight off. He knows how to plot better. His characters, yeah. for the most part, are, are, are more better. distinct. Um, and he, I think Islington was. Um, he was very ambitious on who he based his writings off of. Like Gwyn based his off David Eddings, which is, which is fine, but he, it's very easy to kind of form a fantasy series around David Eddings and kind of turn that into an updated version. Islington is basing his off Brandon Sanderson, a wheel of time to update that and turn his spin on that. in just a three book series, he crammed that that's, that's a hard task. And I think the plot really suffered for, him trying to cram that in and for what his inspiration was. Um, but I, but again, my point is his, his potential with a certain character you, you were talking about. So was, I was like, wow, that I've haven't felt like how creative he was with that storyline and how distinct, you know, the journey he went on, not many authors make me feel like that. I think there's, there's, you know, something I want to see more of and I'm interested in maybe one more try with him. Whereas Gwyn, kind of the same thing, except more so. I, I think he's just, Gwyn's just much more of an enjoyable writer in the series. Okay. I have a potential corrective. Did you mean David Eddings or David Gemmel? Oh, did he say Gemmel? Yeah. I said, said I meant Gemmel. I meant Gemmel. Yeah. yeah, yeah Gemmel. I, I thought you did. Yeah. yeah. Because it, because it's, his books remind me very strongly of the David Gemmel David Gimmel had a, a series of books called the Dranai series, and they were mostly one-offs, but there was a couple characters that you kind of follow, and none of the, none of the characters in Gwen's book reminds me specifically of any character in the Dranai series, but the atmosphere and the flavor of kind of like the settings of the book, there are some similarities to that. Kind of like the whole atmosphere. When I'm when I'm reading Gwen, I can feel echoes of of, right. of what Gemmel was trying to do. I think he just like Gwen saw this one thing. He's like, I usually fantasy what I grew up had prophecies, you know, good guy, farm boy's prophecy. He's like, I'm gonna do a twist on this. And we've we just seen what the twist is. Kind of too, when you could see first twist was like, Oh, what if the the bad guy thinks he's a good guy. And now it's like, there is no prophecy. Islington had like five different things where you know, time travel, he had, you know, kind of a similar thing with what Gwen's trying to do and cram too many things. And I just do not think he could, um, I just don't think he could pull it off totally. Uh, where this, this series seems to be more of, um, less ambitious, still yeah, ambitious, but I prophet, think it, that's exactly the right word. Ambitious. Cause prophecy rooted in fantasy is not as ambitious as time travel. Right. Okay. I think it's easier a for a lot him of to people have issues with time travel. Right. It's easier for him to subvert this prophecy thing in a satisfying manner while still keeping it. I mean, let's be honest. It's still very classic fantasy. This series. Yeah. Look, I love, I love the Celtic atmosphere. I love the Nordic kind of like strains that are kind of weaving in and out of it. I love the big gigantic bears. I'm I'm waiting for some big cats now. Like uh, I need some cats to kind of like some. We need some jungle warriors coming from this uh, from the southern from some southern continent with like you know. <laughs> well, my call my call did tell Corbin there's a possible allies out there. I don't know if you caught it. Yeah. Yes. Jungle cats. Maybe giant eagles. Giant eagles, like you know, have like Ooh. cavalry, be like giant eagles, kind of flying in. 
That mm-hmm. would be amazing. Lord Could of the Rings be. action. All right. We've got to wrap this up soon. So let's, uh, any last talking points, any characters um, we want to get to? Um, I want to nitpick I, on Dath a little bit. Oh, yeah, please. He got oh, married, yeah. and we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> you got married, because it's, you know, some girl that I guess he knew, because there was, there was one scene where he talked to this girl before. Yeah, it's one so of the, um, yeah. one of a, Jahar, Jahar, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the romance I mean, is in the story. I'm just not happy for him, but it's just little moments like that where like, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to not develop as much of the characters you've already developed, we don't need to see huge life changing things happen mm-hmm. with no setup. Right. Yeah, but it's, it's okay. Just I think it was stuff. more just a show like that. Corbin's gang becoming like a family and uh, like their own kind of tribe. Like they were saying how like everyone. Corbin's our leader in Rome, but yeah, yeah. Well, I think also kind of... it was meant to show that they're getting older too. Yeah, hope so. Um, also, the same with Vaughn throwing out the line, which was a good one, saying, "Oh, he's just a kid. Why would I right. kill him?" Whereas you're led to believe most of like they should be close to the same age, where Vaughn's only like a year or two older, right? And yet you see this growth in Vaughn. So I think this is just another moment where Dad is like, "Oh, Dad's getting married, and they're all getting older." And it's, right. I think they're supposed to be like 18 now, probably 17. Sounds probably about 17. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, so. um, yeah, that's not a bad one. I, I have a nitpick. So I, um, I, I noticed this my first read too. So Trig, the half giant. So Graham's hold has this half giant staying with them. I didn't understand the betrayal thing. Well, I thought I it was fake. I thought she was literally saying that they're going to betray him but she's not she's trying to be the double agent right and i'm like oh wait she's actually betraying him i thought well that's what i mean he she lets him uh, the kid escape yeah and then she tells them where he is because i get to buy time i assume maybe but then she goes to calidus and shows them how to get into drassel and yeah it, that's she, what threw me I, I thought for sure that even when she was she was being a double agent and yeah, then, then she just, went to Caldas. I felt I like something understand. was missing. I don't know if there was a chapter he had to cut or scenes he had to cut, but I was like, well, and then she's like, well, you guys treated me bad. It's like, well, yeah, you told him. Why wasn't there communication on her part? Be like, hey, I did this so you guys could buy time. You know what I mean? It just didn't, I don't know. It kind of seemed a little flimsy to get to, you know. Well, to me, she, she showed that she cared about Halen, which. Right, but then she I let the bad guys in. I that's what I'm saying. Halen as soon is. as she did that, I was like, all right, well, she still cares about Halen. She's got to be a double agent. And then I didn't understand that Calvis thing. It was very confusing. The, that's why. The, all, the only thing with Halen, the only thing with Trig is Trig likes Halen. She doesn't like anybody else. That's fair, but well, she's she leading knows that Halen tr- is going to be in danger. Okay, Trig, it was made very clear early on, Trig is not that smart. Like legitimately, yeah, like not. Yeah, she's, she's probably very, like a fifty-year-old kid or something like that. Yeah, very limited intellect here yeah. we're dealing with. Yeah, not loved, I get it. I just, um, I just, it just felt like the not lazy writing, but just like I don't know, needed this character to do something so they could get into Drassel or you know. Yeah, it's just a nitpick. That's all. We just got to move the plot along, and then we get to like kind of speed this up with this cool uh, defense system. Yeah, because right before so, that, they, like when they get in the draft, they're like, "Hey, don't worry, nobody can find this unless they find one of them." And we're we're golden. And then Trig's like, "Yeah, I saw them." 
<laughs> so well, yeah, well, that seems like a very bad security flaw. Anyways, like, <laughs> it only takes one trader out of thousands of people. Yeah. Okay. I do like Donna's nemesis. I forget her name. Voicen Rusen. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a fun confrontation. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that confrontation. I like kind of what happens there. And again, I'm I'm attracted to like the minor characters. So I wonder what's going to happen with her son. Is he going to stay loyal to Adana or not? Right. There's, there's like that no... inter- yeah. yeah, that's like you said. That's interesting. That's I'm I'm excited to see what happens there. That'd be cool. And she Especially has one hand so, now. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, so I think it's, look, I think it's set up nicely. I'm extremely uninterested in what happens with Veritas. But i got to follow it along. <laughs> um, which, by extension, it makes me extremely under, under, uninterested in what happens with Quinn or Suen. Kerwin because is it's pronounced in the audio. Kerwin? Yeah, because she's tied to Veritas. Couldn't care yeah. less. I mean, I, I like her Brina uh, relationship and how she's trying to be a healer, and all of a sudden to, now she's an elementalist because Corbin's too busy to learn. I guess. Well, to, to be fair, I like her one, and I really enjoyed her. I, I actually really enjoyed her storyline in book three. I really did, and I like the fact that she was kind of going for the book, and Brina kind of got upset with her, and they kind of had their they they were able to talk it through. So actually, I like her one. I'm just not going to like her so much in book four if she's going to have to spend a whole bunch of time with Veritas. Did you catch yeah. uh, Brynna going towards that dark magic? Uh huh. Yeah. Into that. Um. Well, all right. Hold on. Are we in the predictions part? Are we yeah. Go ahead. Heb coming back. Oh. Who? What? Say it again. Heb coming back. Brina dark huh? magic. Heb coming back. Seven treasures where we only know what like three of them even do. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I could see some head action. Uh, what else you got? Any any crazy theories? Well, remember, like so, so getting all the treasures together breaks breaks a, a portal to the other world. Is that what they call it? Yeah. yeah. So where and when this other world portal is going to matter? Because if for example, Corbin and all them are somehow able to take control. That's going to allow the Benalim access. Yeah. But then if it's the other guys, then the Kedushim are going to have access. And now, what do we know about the Benalim? The Benalim are completely and totally defined by duty. They couldn't give a crap about humanity, except as, to the extent that Elyon cared about humanity. So the Benalim are only there to kick some Kedushim ass. So... Uh, I'm expecting some kind of like where they both kind of are released into the quote real world and there's some big knockdown drag out fight. I'd be very curious to see as to who eventually takes out Calidus. Because I think Corbin's role eventually is going to have to be to take on Asphalt. McKinn. McKinn? Yeah. No. I think Michael, (laughs) Michael, for all his incompetence, the one thing he apparently could do, at least in his original form, was fight. So I assume he's going to come back and take on Calidus. No, here's here's what it is. Okay. McKinn is going to get his shot at Lycos 
and jail, and I have to give it up to kill Calidus for the greater good. I think that's going to happen. Nope. Nope. That, that's what I'm saying. That's my that's my theory. That's what I think is going to happen. You know what? Here, I'm going to spitball a crazy idea. Okay. Alcyon. Alcyon. Yeah, he Alcyon. get his revenge. I don't think so, though. I think that's too easy. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, all the bad guys have to have their comeuppance one way or another, right? So, whether they die or not. Who's gonna or get not, him. maybe this right. is like, oh, surprise, you gotta read the next series to find out what happens hundreds of years later after everybody dies. <laughs> so, so Veritas is gonna get in a there. Ugh. Yeah. McKin Lycos. Okay. At a minimum, Lycos, maybe Dryle. No. No, I feel like uh, I'll see. It, it, it'd be. It'd be very fitting if Jael just kind of gets killed, like, on a random one-off by some rando. It'd be like, okay, whatever. Like, Tahir. <laughs> Probably Halen and Tahir or something like that. Tahir takes out Jail. That'd be nice. That. I could see that yeah. happening where they're like, <laughs> and McKinn's just like, what? Oh, he's already dead? Okay. You think, uh, you think Tahir and McKinn will reunite? Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a good one, because Gwyn wants us to feel the heartstrings of being like, <laughs> alright, right. Tahir lived, and Halen's, well, like, still alive kind of thing. And and McKin- McKin- yeah, McKinney's Halen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, oh, like you said, Gar's Hall- going to die. Halion's going to die. Yeah, definitely. Um, By Kano? Who? Huh. Well, so. Yeah. so th- Is there a redemption that, there? That, no, it's, that's from- it's the both. So, they kill each other. They both do the same no. where you see them swipe <laughs> swords at the same time, and then they're both no. three feet away and they both die. Yeah. No, so, so look, so, so Connell's an irredeemable irredeemable POS except for one thing. The one thing he actually truly, truly cares about is his brother. Right. Like he will walk through fire for his brother. Yeah. So my my guess is if Connell has a redemption arc, somebody kills Connell that's on some excuse me, somebody kills Halion that's on Connell's side and Connell goes, Oh, we're not having this and he's gonna go on a rampage against whoever Ooh. it is that kills Brother. That's good. Rin. Rin's been losing control a lot. I feel like she'll just be like, order his death fast enough to kill him. And Connell will be like, no, that's that's it. She hasn't that's been the same one. since Azroth. Yeah, she has. You see her starting shook. to lose control, especially yeah. after the, the swamp people shook. did a whole fire attack on her and she failed. I could see her like getting up to, to Halion at some point and been like, killing more can or whatever. And it happens. And more yeah, I like that. He's got to get like, his up. Yeah, I like that. I like um, that. What else? I'm trying to think. Any crazy ones? Who Sylvain gets Rafe? Kills Veritas. That'd be cool. Right. I doubt it's gonna happen. Who gets Rafe? Mm. Ooh, Rafe. Ooh, that's gonna be Dath. That's a Dath and Feral duo team all the way. And Corlin's gonna finally give him a nod. Be like, you did good, guys. Yeah. <clears throat> what about um? Is Corbin now? Not have Storm? Is he just gonna have all his puppies? He's gonna have like seven of them now. Little. Storm's not dead. Oh. No body. Dead, but those puppies Storm's are going to be Hale, one for Halen, one for Death, Feral, Coraline, pretty much all the wolf pack. The Howlers are going to get one. So if Storm's not dead, do you think that's a cop-out? Would it be, be I would be shocked if he was able to kill Storm off-screen like that. I thought it was a moving scene at the end. It was like crawling towards each other. It was good. I know, but... That's like another plot armor thing. Is like <laughs> I'd like to see it happen because I'd like to see Corbin deal with uh, the prophecy being fake and his best animal companion. 
I feel like that hit him pretty hard. I don't think Gwyn wants like two mega truth bombs on him all once. <laughs> well, you know what? To, to be fair, it it would be like from a storytelling device. Yeah, it would be good. awesome. It would it would be really nice for, for Storm to to die in the sense honestly, of yeah, because we like you said we get Storm development in book one, and that's about it. So this honestly, this may be it for Storm. I'm waiting. You know what? You you've convinced me. Yeah, Storm's gonna die. That's it. That's all I got. We did enough crazy predictions, I think. Uh, I'm right. sure we were totally wrong for pretty much all of them, except the it, bears for this last book. But here, here's the crazy thing about the prophecy, though, right? So, Storm is Storm. Storm was named Storm before Michael was involved, and the horse was named Shield before Shield was ever involved, and he's protected yeah. by Storm and Shield. It was pretty good. I liked it. Well, re- remember, there was an original true prophecy that this was based off of, and Michael yeah. never actually said what was in the true prophecy. So, so I'd be, I wonder if that ever gets revealed. Surprise! Prophecy is still on. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Before we leave, just quick. I'll start. Eridanus and Solution. Just quick. Rank the book so far. Hmm. Malice, Ruin, Valor. Malice, Ruin, Valor. So, oh yeah. Um. Yeah, Malice. Yeah, Malice Ruin Valor. Yeah. I'll go publication order. Malice Valor Ruin, but um, I like that. Okay. I like McKinn's. Well, you have the hindsight of knowing the last book, so it doesn't count. That's true. I think he nails it. That's all I'll say. I think he does a good job. Okay. So. Okay. All Look, right. you know you know how everyone <laughs> talks about the Sanderlands? Sorry. You know how everybody talks about the Sanderlands? I'm expecting Wrath to be one big Gwen Lynch. Just, <laughs> I want blood. So, well, the, books the bad guys have had their turn for three books. I want I want this to be the good guy's time to shine. So, <laughs> that is true. At the end of every book, the bad guys come out on top. Yep. All right. Well, that does it for Ruin. Um, yeah. We'll see you guys next time for Wrath for the big finale. See all our hot takes and um, see if we. Maybe you guys' tunes will change. You'll d- despise it. You'll swear off Gwyn, and <laughs> that'll be the end of that. Always um, a possibility. Yeah. yeah. So check us out on Discord, the Legendarium Discord, where you can come chat books, TV, music, all types of stuff. And uh, thank you for Craig from the Legendarium for letting us chat along on here and the books they don't want to cover. And thank you for uh, to, oh boy, the song Jingle Punks. Galactic uh, Damages by Jingle Punks. <laughs> Galactic Damages by Jingle Pumps for the music. Gracias. And for Eridanda, Solution, and myself, we'll see you next time. See ya.